Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 41. My guest this week is once again, Miss Pamela Howard. This week's podcast, though, is not an interview. It is a replay of a lecture I attended at this year's 2019 Prague Quadrennial in the Czech Republic. The event I was attending was Gallery Talks, a part of the Fragments exhibition. This ex- exhibition offered the opportunity for small audiences to hear from some of the living legends whose work was exhibited within Fragments. Each session featured a few artists giving a short introduction to their life, work, and practice before a moderated question session. The lecture you are about to hear is titled, A Tricolored World, Believing in a Responsibility to Tell Important Stories of Displacement and Disposition in the Face of Global Tyrannies. Pamela Howard has led a life making art without borders. If you'd like to learn about more about Ms. Howard, you can visit her website at www. Dot pamelahoward.co.uk. That's www.pamelahoward.co.uk. I'd also like to announce that the Archiving Technical Theater History Facebook group is pleased to be part of a new online mentorship program. What's great about this program is not only does it provide a platform for students, teachers, and practitioners alike to connect, it also is worldwide. If you've been frustrated by not having someone speak your language, we're making the effort to represent as many as we can. I have posted on the Facebook group translations of this message and placed in the announcements section. These languages include English, German, Italian, French, Spanish, Portuguese, Polish, Russian, and Dutch. Hopefully this can encourage folks who may not have English as their first language to feel welcome and encouraged to participate. Language should not be the barrier to learning. Please make sure to note if you are either a mentor or a mentee, let people know the language you feel comfortable or wish to interact in. Also, if you are multilingual, let people know. You might be surprised with who you get to interact with. Some of our current mentors at the time of this recording include Beverly Emmons in lighting, John Leonard of sound, Chris Yeager of production management and stagecraft, Jeremy McComish of Props and Theater, Chris Van Houten of Technical History and Research, Ivan Dorado of Theater Technology, Umberto Danino of Stagecraft, Scenography, and History of Theater, and of course myself in Research, History, and Heritage. Thank you to everyone for helping grow this project through posts, tweets, notes in various newsletters, and of course word of mouth. As always, enjoy the show. Students 
present people, present colleagues, present friends. It's wonderful to be able to share my thoughts and my work. I must say, with respect, when the British team came to interview me and they said, Pamela, um, we have, you, we have um, unanimous, unanimously elected you to be a living legend. <laughs> I didn't know anything about it, but I was so shocked. And then I thought, well, it's better than a dead legend. <laughs> so um, here I am, your living, well, a living legend. I don't really feel like that. Um, and it's amazing to be here with, I've never spoken before since before. <laughs> and it's a very weird experience, if I may say. Right, I'm going to tell you, um, I'm, I want to take the opportunity today to share some of my process with you in the hope that this will actually become a conversation. Um, and in particular, I, would, I want to focus today on where life and art meet. Um, just to preface this, I will just say to you that I did start my career many, many, many years ago. I'm probably a living legend just because I'm 80 now and I was born just at the start of the Second World War, maybe that's it. But um, um, I, I have been a very good and obedient person in my life and done all the things that I was supposed to do. And now, I just do what I want to do. <laughs> I don't care if anyone likes me or not. I'm um, completely on a different level. I wouldn't recommend anybody starting off to try and do what I do now. Because the very important thing in this business is to understand and realize you don't do it in a few years. It is a long process of development and in particular, it is a process of being able to recreate your talent or your ability every time you start a new project. I think to myself, I have to be creation, la création in French. Creation is about being able to put everything away and to start again as if you were a newborn baby and come to it fresh and to make a journey of discovery, a journey of adventure. And you have to be prepared to go wrong as well as to go right. Of course, experience helps, but not always. And sometimes experience is a trap that you fall into. So I, I just think that's a very important thing to have 
talk about this. At the same time, um, I have to um, think to myself, what is it that starts me off on a new project? And that's partly where I'm going to start um, today. And what for me is immensely important is not to illustrate music or a score or a text, but to try and find the story behind the text, the context, the world in which this gift that we're going to give to a spectator can happen. What is that story? And I would just like to say, it is not simply looking at Wikipedia, which usually is wrong. Okay. So I'm like an anthropologist. I'm going through the mountains of Seville, if, or Andalusia, if I'm doing Carmen, I go there. I walk through the hills. I want to see what did Prosper Merriman when he wrote the first novella of Carmen? And he met a man in the Andalusian mountains. And in the distance, Prosper Merriman saw what he thought were white swans in the hills of Andalusia. If you know, it's not much green. And this man said to him, you know, they're not swans. They are the girls from the tobacco factory who come out and swim in the sea in the middle of the day. And watch out, because one of those girls is La Carmen Sita. And when I discovered that, um, it was a whole world of, um, understanding the, the marginalized societies of life, that all drama is about love and death, and it's about how to show all these different people that represent the world in which the context takes place. So, um, I'm not going to, I, I want to show you some of my work now, um, and I'm going to just tell you, um, we're going to start, and on your chairs you will find a leaflet about a, um, a music, a new music theatre piece that I have been creating over four years. I've never spent so long for so little money ever. Okay. So by that you can see the dedication that I have to this project. A lot of my work now as creator is to do with cultural identity. It's to do with outsiders, it's to do with displaced people, and it's to do with how we tell stories that are important to tell because history repeats itself. If we don't keep telling these stories, people forget. 
and um, in the UK just at this minute, you know that they are marking the, um, the 75th anniversary of the, um, new, of the little boats going to rescue the um, soldiers in Dunkirk. And there are people where I live who have never heard of it. But the, um, the boats all took off from where I live, and there are people who don't know that. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so now I just explain to you. So the piece is called Charlotte, a tri-coloured play with music. And I'm going to give you a little picture and then just show you some of my preparatory work. So Charlotte Salomon was a young girl in Berlin in a very privileged, rich household. Her father was a doctor in the Berlin Hospital, medical doctor, and her grandfather was a much decorated, famous doctor from the First World War. This family was utterly and completely 100% Germanized, but they were Jewish, but they had, she, Charlotte, had no idea about that. One day, when she was about 12, in her school, they had a photograph, a school photograph, and suddenly, the teachers pulled five girls out and said, you're no longer allowed to be in the, in the school photograph. She didn't know why, but she knew that the world was changing around her. And she saw the parades of the National Socialist Party, and she envied the order that they had. She thought it was rather wonderful that they could all march in time. And she began to comprehend that the world was not, her world was not a good place. Um, and I'm going to tell you the whole story because you have to pay your airfares to come back to Prague to see it at the National Opera, which I hope you will. But if not, you will be able to see it as a film on, um, on I suppose it's on YouTube or something. Anyway, towards the, in 1938, when her parents, actually it was her stepmother and her father, knew that things were getting very, very tough in Berlin. Um, they decided to send Charlotte on her own to hide in the south of France where her grandparents had already gone. They did not know that at that time the south of France was in a coalition between Benito Mussolini, the Vatican, General Pétain and Hitler, and essentially they sent her to her death. In two years, when she was in the south of France, when she only had three colours, red, yellow and blue gouache paints that she brought with her, a sketchbook and some tracing paper, 
she painted 1,200 gouaches. Imagine 1,200 gouache paintings of her former life from memory as a child because she was a lonely, only child who saw everything and said nothing. And she painted these from memory and then she spread them all out on the sea, on the beach, on the sea. And she looked at them and she said to herself, is this life or is this theatre? And she selected, um, I think she selected 88 of these drawings and she wrapped them up in a parcel and she put on the outside of the parcel, which you can see the picture on these leaflets, take good care of this, it is my whole life. And she left it with the local doctor in Villefranche-sur-Mer, where she was. He never opened it. He did not know what was in it. When he died, just before he died, he gave it to an old concierge who was looking after the building where she had been hiding. And it wasn't until 1947 that her father and her stepmother motored down from Amsterdam where they had been in hiding looking for anything and everything that was to do with Charlotte, that this old concierge threw them the package and said, oh, here you are, I don't know what this is, this is all we've got. And they opened it and they saw Charlotte's memory of her life. And they said, how did she know? So this is, this is the background story. And, um, 2017 was the 100th anniversary of the birth of Charlotte Salomon. The work is now owned in Amsterdam by the Charlotte Salomon Foundation. And um, I saw the exhibition of her work in London, I saw it in New York, I saw it at the Pompidou Centre, I told people this, and eventually I didn't know it, it was at the Art Gallery in Ontario. And by some extraordinary uh, coincidence, uh, the, um, an actor in Toronto got in touch with me, and I brought in a Czech composer, Alex Regina, I think he's here, um, who I worked with quite a lot, because I knew he was the right person to do it, and with me. And I just want to conclude this little bit by saying, um, Alish and I have worked together on many productions, of, well, not many, but on Martinu in particular and other such things. And he says to me this, Pamela, he says, colour is sound and sound is colour. And how we work together is that sometimes he will write a little bit of music and send it to me like on YouTube. And I'll do a drawing, I'm going to show you in a minute. And sometimes I do a drawing and I send it to him. He writes a piece of music. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. But it's a, it's a wonderful synchronicity of sound and colour 
and into that comes the text that um, the actor Alan Nashman in Toronto has created. So where's my clicker here? Okay, so um, I'm going to start by just showing you, um, this is a working process, okay? This is not the National Museum of Art. And I have to 
say it's a great joy when I see that because they don't fall over it. And in Canada, they always have to do things called spikes, which I've never known about. But apparently spiking is a national occupation in Canada. Um, well, you obviously know about it. No actor can move unless they know where their spike is.
when he goes to meet the opera singer Pauline Kalimba. Stand up a bit. I'm worried about you now. Um, yeah, go on. And I'm in this, you can see how the sofa and the chairs turn round, and um, he goes, he hears that he goes to a cafe in Berlin, and he takes her drawings to show him. Go on. And he promises not to show them to anybody, but he does show them to Palinka. Go on. Okay. And this is uh, the way that we do the Kristallnacht. Kristallnacht, if you don't know, was the night of breaking glass in Berlin or in all over Germany, when shops were smashed, shop windows were smashed, and um, they take comfort in her bedroom when there's no one else in the house. It's not a sex scene, as some people think, but it's to show that the opposite to the breaking glass can happen when you're hiding in, in your house. Go on. Thank you. Yeah. So this is the next morning when they realize that their husbands, brothers, and sons have uh, been taken away. And it's called the Vigil of Women. And I just wanted to show you this because I happened to be in Georgia, Russian as was Georgia, on the night when they were um, declaring independence in what was called Freedom Square, what is now called Freedom Square, was called the Public Square in Venetian Georgia. And the Russians came and they had big wooden spades and they hit the Georgian men on their head and the Georgian men fell to the floor. Some died, some did not. And the next day, a group of Georgian women came together and in old overcoats and white scarves on their head, they went to every police station to demand, where are our brothers, sons, and husbands? Now, we've seen in Argentina the same demonstrations for the disappeared in Argentina. This movement, the white scarf movement, spread all over the world. I was there. And when I read this in Charlotte's book, I said to myself, we have to stage that. We have to stage that moment. And so we do. Let's go. And, this, and here, um, you see Paulinka going to the Minister of Propaganda, who is Joseph Goebbels, uh, to ask for the release of her husband. And he says those words. I don't know if you know this, but I'm, you're going to be so pleased that you've heard me say this. Um, he says to her, to show your gratitude is only right. He gives her a pass to let her husband out. I'll send my car for you tonight. And she was interviewed in a documentary at the end of her life. She was 96 when she died. And the interviewer said to her, did you really sleep with Joseph Goebbels that night? And she goes, um, yes. But you couldn't tell from what she says if it was really true or not. It's a great, it's in history books. 
So here I am, and I'm staging that moment. I can't tell you how it feels. And it, it's a brilliant singer. I'll go on. And this is when um, they decide to send Charlotte away when he is released. Let the husband go on. Go on, go on. Oh, yes, we are on. And finally, she goes to the south of France. And the end of this is that she finds her grandparents in a very reduced state. Eventually, her grandmother kills, her, uh, kills herself out of the same bedroom window. And uh, this is true. I'm not inventing this. You might think I'm inventing it, but I'm not. Um, her grandfather says to Charlotte, when they're burying the grandmother in the woods, he says, from now on, you'll sleep with me for warmth. And she says, you can't be serious. And he says, why not? It makes sense. And so she cooks him an omelette and mixes it with veronal poison, which is rat poison, and he dies. Let's go on three. And this is her making the omelette. We don't quite do it like this. Come. And then this is the very end. Now, this is what I just um, finally have to say about Charlotte, is imagine with all this story that I told you, she could never have known this. In 1943, she was deported to Auschwitz and she was immediately killed. But you can buy her book on Amazon. Just think of it. How amazing is that? The New Yorker featured it on the front cover. The, um, it's all over the world. If you look, and I hope you, you might be inspired to look, um, at Charlotte Salomon on your website, you'll see masses about it. And this is what I want to say, is that um, be absolutely sure that art survives all. And the creation of art, be it music, be it painting, be it, be it any other form of poetry, is the most important contribution to society that anybody can make. Okay, I rest my case. Um, we're going to move on now to the next um, piece, please. Oh, oh yes, sorry. So these are just some of the characters. Just go through them very, very quickly. Okay. And we're going to go to Carmen. Okay. Now please, will you ignore the vile black lines on this? This is nothing, 100% nothing to do with me. It's some mysterious internet device that I don't understand and I don't want to. <laughs> So in 2015, um, I was invited to create a new production of Carmen. I began to tell you a little bit about this at the National Opera in Ljubljana in Slovenia. Now I've got a very, very, very good idea in my life. This is my best idea, incidentally. It's um, because I've been a lot of involved in academic work, quite a lot of international academic work. My idea is teach your students really, really well. They get the top jobs and then they employ you. <laughs> this is the best idea I've ever had. 
So um, one of my former students was became the artistic who was here in Prague became the artistic director of the National Opera in Ljubljana, and Rock, his name is, and he rang me up and he said, um, I have a proposal to make to you, not a wedding proposal, an artistic proposal, and um, I would like you, I would like to invite you to come here and to do a new production of Cop, and then he paused and he went, Carmen. And I said, Carmen? Why would I want to do Carmen? Everybody has done Carmen. What could I do that, I mean, it's done to death, you know. And he said to me, if you don't accept to do Carmen, I'm going to offer you Parsifal, which I know you don't want to do. <laughs> so I thought I'd better do Carmen. Um, now, when, whenever, I, um, whenever I start, um, production, whenever I start a new piece of work, I have what my, my grown-up children call, I can't draw. I never believe I can draw again from one production to another. I just don't. So I go through agonies of thinking what can I do and how can I do it and do I know what to do and what pen shall I use and shall I use paint and I don't know. And um, as I told you, I have been to Andalusia and walked around the mountains where I know Spain very, very well. And um, I look, you know, I've seen the hills and um, I had a bit of luck. So I was driving my car through a retail park and there was a big motor car superstore, and it said, chamois leather cloths, three, for the price of two. And I thought, oh, that might be interesting. And I pulled up, and I opened one packet, and I saw that they were all different shapes, and it reminded me of the hills of Andalusia. And I bought them all. I mean, all of them. Okay, and there was about 12 in a packet. And I laid them, I washed them, and I laid them all out in my garden. And they're all different shapes. Now, one of the things I love to do when I work in space is to see how much the space can give me before I start to think what to put in it. Also, it's free. And um, so it is with the surface that I make a mark on. And I took these home and I just made with a brush um, one little mark because my friend uh, who represents the Catalonian exhibition, I don't think he's here, Ramon Ivans, had sent me a little bottle of mineral pitch, which I've never used, but I love the name. It's called Jew's Blood, and it's a Catalonian product. And I've never used it, and I put my brush into this, and you can see that little mark below her skirt. And I fell in love with it, because I can't do anything 
until I fall in love with the surface and the mark that I'm going to make. And the minute I did it, I could draw. So let's go through them now and you'll just see um, the different so when you look at these characters, don't just think of them as costume designs, but think of them as acting notes. This is um, um, on the hillside, which we created on, on stage. And it's a response to the space. Let's go. Just keep going. Oh, can you go back? Where's the long one with the children? Oh, okay. Okay. Well, never mind. Could you buy my book, please? <laughs> <laughs> because you'd be able to see them all. This is what I, I can't. I can't go with PowerPoint, really, because I usually have the actual thing. But just let me say that when you when you look at either in drawing theatre or at the main in the main what is scenography number three you'll see that there is a very long, thin um, piece of leather. And Carmen begins with Les Gamins, the children in the street who are following the soldiers. And um, my nine-year-old at the time, granddaughter, was having a birthday party, and she asked all her friends to come dressed up in clothes like they do. And I looked at these kids and I just drew them. And what you see on the stage is actually my granddaughter's birthday party. Because they dressed themselves up. They didn't know. They were like soldiers and mummies and daddies and little girls. It was brilliant. So I'm sorry that you can't see that here. But I think you get the idea uh, of that. Um, can we go on a little bit? Okay, and this is the final scene, which of course has the fiesta and the dancers in. So um, I worked with a wonderful choreographer who happens to be the wife of Ramon Ivas. So we knew each other very, very well. And she came from Barcelona to Ljubljana to make the choreography. Go on. coming to the, to the last piece. You know, I have a huge amount of work, so it's quite hard to, um, to select. But um, people often ask me, um, what is the most interesting piece that you've ever done? But it's always the next piece that I'm working on. So um, there's a very big um, festival going on throughout the UK, England, Scotland, Ireland and Wales. That's always assuming there still is England there because there might not be. Um, and it's called Insiders, Outsiders. And it's created by a famous art curator who by chance was the curator who made the exhibition of Charlotte Salomon in 2006 at the Royal Academy of London, can you imagine? Anyway, this 
woman, whose name is Monica, uh, came to me and she said, Pamela, have you any ideas of anything you would like to contribute to this festival? It's not a good idea to, to ask me that, because I've always got 12 ideas. And there used to be, in the centre of London, in an area called Hampstead, if anyone knows Hampstead, an old cafe, and that cafe was called the Cosmopolitan Cafe, and it was a much-loved cafe, um, and it was the centre for emigres that came from, largely from Vienna, psychoanalysts who had no clients, Sigmund Freud, um, and one of those people was the real-life character in Sherlock's story, I didn't know this, Alfred Wilson, the singing teacher. How can that be? I mean, how can it be that you, that all this comes round in a full circle? I don't understand life at all. <laughs> anyway, I have thought for years, I used to pass this cafe, and I used to look in the window and see all these old people at eight o'clock in the morning, and they were all dressed up, and some of them were playing cards. One day, I went in. I was very, very frightened, and I sat in a corner, and I took out my sketchbook, because I always have a sketchbook with me, and I always have pen with me, which is much better if you want to draw somebody than putting a camera in front of someone's face and saying, do you mind if I just take a photo? You know, which is horrible. I mean, it's invasive and you can't do that. I saw a wonderful man on the tram this morning that I shall use in a production. Um, and and, and um, so I went in and I sat in a corner of this cafe and I became aware of an old man who was watching me. And he said to me, are you drawing me? And I said, no, I'm drawing those old ladies in hats who are playing cards over there. And he began to tell me who all the characters in the cafe were. And for many, many years, I thought to myself, you know, this is like a singspiel. I could do the ballad of the Cosmo Cafe but I never knew how I could, until somebody asked me. And then, I, uh, there's a drama school very near this, Central School of Speech and Drama. I thought maybe we could collaborate with them. And lo and behold, they own an old church hall, very near where their school is. And they invited me to recreate the cafe in the school, in, in the church hall. And so it is, but, oh, is it gone? Am I drawing? Okay. I got tired, absolutely tired, of telling people about how to do what I'm going to do. People say, Pamela, what are you doing now? And I say, the ballad of the Cosmo Cafe. And they go, oh, for God's sake, you know, please. Um, now, think of this, though. Bertolt Brecht 
wrote in a poem, show what has to be shown. Sorry, show what has to be shown. And in another part he wrote, don't talk so much, just show it. And let the audience know the careful preparations that are made for them. And so I thought, oh, I'll just do a drawing. A man who I do not know, who is head of a big pharmaceutical company in the UK, saw the drawing, remembered he had been in the Cosmo Cafe, and immediately donated £10,000 to the project. Imagine, I didn't even ask for it. So, in other words, what I'm saying is, don't talk too much about your project. Show what has to be shown. If you can draw it, if you can find a way of communicating, you never know somebody will fall in love with it. And that taught me a very big lesson because the fact that somebody gave £10,000 has made other people give. And all the performers in this that I have, who are leading British performers, over 80, every single one, um, who agreed to do it for nothing, are now going to get paid. Isn't that brilliant? And that's all because of that drawing. So this is where I learned a very, very big lesson. Pamela, shut up, stop explaining. Um, draw it, somebody will fall in love with it. Okay, so this is happening now in November in, um, in London. There are four performances, but it is going to be filmed. And there's um, just a lot of talk about it. And so I conclude this now by saying that um, we have had uh, quite an extensive research group telling us stories but I'm not remotely interested in making a documentary, not at all. So this is a memory, and who knows whether memory is truth or not. And when we come back to Charlotte's story, she created all these gouache paintings from memory. Who knows if it was true? Does it matter?
Does that answer a little bit? Question, there is a chapter on this called Space and what is scenography. Do you get by? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. anything, anything else that I can answer? That was a really important question. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, it's so hot, isn't it? We're all dying in the heat. I think, I don't know what to say to you all, but have a good afternoon in the cool time. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for Hey everyone, thank you for joining us on this latest episode of the podcast. Remember, this podcast is listener supported, so wherever you get it, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. This podcast can be found on such platforms as iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Stitcher. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, we can be reached at archivett24 at yahoo.com. Again, that's A-R-C-H-I-V-E-T-T-24 at yahoo.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Archiving Technical Theater History. We appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.